0: Okay, good. I turned it up a little bit. Um, you know what I want us to do when we start out today? Um, I just, I just had this profound feeling this morning um, of a need for prayer for one another. And um, I don't know what baggage you're coming with. I don't know what you have going on personally, maritally, in your family, and your finance. I, I don't know. But I just, I just, I just want us to pray for one another. And so. Um, if you could just pray to the person to your right or to your left, um, you can pray out loud or you can just pray silently. Um, don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. So, I mean, if you just want to in your heart pray for the person to your right or your left, uh, can we just do that? Can we take a few moments and just and just pray for one another? And here's what I want us to pray. I want us to pray for the Lord to show Himself strong on one another's behalf. And I want to pr- and I want you to pray specifically that the word from the word from God today would be implanted into their heart and would bear fruit and grow. Can we, can we do that? Can we just take a moment and pray for each other? Father in heaven, we thank you that near to your heart, we can safely gather, and that close to you, there is is no other refuge that we can find, no better safety that you afford. We pray, Lord, that you would nurture, would you nurture our faith? this morning, would you nurture our trust in you, that you would come, would you come and provide comfort for every person in this place, everyone listening and watching, wherever they are, whatever burdens we have, crushing burdens, whatever struggles, that you would show yourself to be a kind and loving, a comforting and gracious and tender and strong and mighty and all-knowing, all-providing Father. Teach us by your Son and by your Spirit through your Word now how to pray, what to pray, that we may someday, perhaps years from now, look back and say, That in June of 2021 was the time in our lives that your grace taught us much in prayer. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So begins A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. One way to understand what we're doing as we study the book of Matthew together as, as a church, as a group of a redeemed community that have committed to one another to love one another, to give to one another, to pray for one another. One one way to understand the purpose of this study of the Gospel of Matthew is that it is an attempt to make our mental image of God more accurate. Lord, would you do that? My goal is to help us leave behind our natural fallen intuitions, thoughts, the default of all of our hearts, where it naturally gravitates to in the way that it sees God. To leave behind the view of God as distant and stingy, calculating, and to step into the liberating realization that He is gentle. And lowly of heart. The best father that we could ever dream of. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of mercies. And the God of all comfort. This is who. He really is. At the level of his own internal desire and affection, he was as eager as the sun for this atonement to take place, to rescue us. You guys realize they planned this in eternity past. As the apostle Paul opens 2 Corinthians, he gives us a window into what it comes into his mind. When he thinks about God, the God of all comfort, the God of mercies, yes, God is just and God is righteous, unswervingly, unendingly, without such a doctrine, uh, such a reassurance, we would have no hope that he's going to make all things that are wrong one day right. But what flows naturally from his heart? What flows, what is his innermost desire? Mercies. Is that what comes to mind when you think about him? Ask yourself, is that what comes to mind naturally when you think about him? He is the father of mercies. In other words, there is a family resemblance between the father and mercy. So, given that this is his very heart, it's what gets him up in the morning, how do we approach such a God in prayer? Last week we started out by looking at the words of our Lord telling us what not to pray. If we're praying, if the praying of the Pharisees was hypocritical and the pagans was mechanical, The praying of thoughtful Christians must be real and sincere as opposed to hypocritical, thoughtful as opposed to mechanical. Our Father desires more than anything else for us to be sincere and real, messy, to come to Him with our mess, with our jacked up ness, um, not performing not attempting to manipulate or sound spiritual to him, but from our hearts, from our very hearts, confident that as a good father, he does hear us, and he's listening. As Christ said last week, for your father knows what you need even before you ask him. The essential difference between Pharisaic, pagan, unbelieving prayer and Christian praying, because lots of people pray. Lots of people, they call it different things maybe, but lots of people, most people do pray. The essential difference between pagan prayer and pharisaical prayer and Christian prayer lies in the kind of God that we pray to. Which is why Tozer's words couldn't be more on point. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So Lord, would you teach us? Lord, would you, would you show us, let us see you this morning for who you really are? Not for who we want you to be, not for who we imagine, not for who media or, or family or tradition or culture might say you are, Who for who you really are. We want to pray to you in accordance with who you really are. And so, Lord, in the words of your disciples, we asked sincerely this morning, Father, teach us to pray. And so if you haven't already turned to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through, I don't know, probably not 13, even though that was my goal. Um, Most of us are probably so familiar with these words that we rarely stop to think what an amazing, incredible, astounding, ridiculous thing it is that we have this prayer. What's ironic is in the very passage where Jesus goes into, don't pray mechanically, don't just say it without thinking, it's probably the most repeated prayer by people who who don't even think about what it's saying. You know, right? I mean, that, that, wasn't that a thing football teams did for, for years and years and years? They'd take a knee, our Father who art in heaven, right? I mean, some of us are like, well, we, those were the golden days, right? We wish they still did. But, but, but I mean, it's ironic that in this passage where Jesus is talking about sincerity and not just going off at the mouth is the most gone off at the mouth prayer in the whole Bible. Let me ask you a question. What if you had the opportunity to ask the greatest coach of all time, right? Coach K is about to retire. I'm not saying he's the best coach of all time, but they do have a pretty good record, right? The Blue Devils, Duke. Um, You're like, Brady, I can't pull for a team that has Devils as its mascot. Um, You know, or maybe it's the UNC Tar Heels, right? If you could sit down and hang out with Dean Smith or maybe, uh, hey, Raymond, what about Tony Bennett, right? Over at UVA, you sit down and have a cup of tea with him. Or, the, uh, you know, um, to, and, and say, teach me how to play basketball, or teach me how to coach, or what was it like, or what we might ask. Or, or, or may, maybe you go to ask the greatest baker, Renita. Maybe, maybe you go ask Mary Berry, right, in the UK. She, Renita is, loves that great British baking show. And, uh, you know, you get to hang out with her for the evening. Uh, teach me how to bake, Mary Berry. Or, you know, or maybe the greatest plumber, right? Teach me how to plumb, Right? Or whatever it is, you know, uh, you would be on the edge of your seat, right? Ready to hear. You'd have your phone open. You'd have the, the notes tab open. You'd be like writing stuff down. How can I apply this? How can I, how can I make this happen? And, and uh, man, you'd be so excited. Well, how much more should we be eager and ready to hear from Jesus? For he is much more than a mere expert in prayer. And prayer is infinitely more important than any hobby or vocation or skill. Guys, prayer is absolutely vital. It's absolutely indispensable for the Christian. We cannot live without it. Not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. We can't. We can't live without prayer. When I was in Iraq with Samaritan's Purse, we had these two uh, bomb... Uh, technicians, experts, because there was IEDs all over the place, and they, would, they, they had fixed them up to look like toys and all kinds of things, and, uh, and then we would have uh, a couple guys from the Navy who would come in. They'd give us a daily update, and they'd tell us, don't go here. You'll die. Don't take that road. People were just killed there yesterday, and they'd give us this, this stuff, um, so you bet I was writing that down. Okay, now, wait a minute. What, where, where exactly was the road where I would die? Like I want to I write that down. Um, you know, it's, it's important to know how to avoid dying, right? Well, in the Christian life, guys, there's not many things more important. There aren't anything more important than knowing how to pray. It's like breathing to our spiritual lives. It's life. Oh, man, I love the prayers of the Bible, don't you? Don't you love the prayers of Paul, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, Ephesians 1, 16 through 21? Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, Colossians 1, 9 through 11, right? They're just, it's like, oh, you read that and you're like, okay, I know I'm praying something good now, right? It just has such depth. Or, you know, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He has conformed you to them. You know, it's just, these, you just read it and you're just like, oh, this is like, Awesome, it's, it's hymnic, or, or the prayers of Jesus. John 17 has the longest prayer of Jesus. Um, how many of y'all love the Psalms, right? How many of you love reading through the Psalms? I think we love the Psalms so much is because there's so little, j- just, okay, I'm trying to think of a pulpit approved term. Uh, there's, there's, there's not fluff, right? There's, it's, 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 it's real, it's raw, and you can't find a, a Psalm that doesn't reflect either the joy or the sorrow that you're experiencing in life. Either the the intimacy with God or the distance you might be feeling from from God. They give expression. And so I love the prayers of the Bible, but how blessed are we, y'all? How blessed are we that Jesus left us for all time this prayer. This prayer that teaches us how to pray every other prayer. It teaches us. Jesus could have just said, go pray, right? Or he could have, he could have just done what he did and, and exemplified it. Just watch me pray. Watch me and do this. Here, here's the way I want you. But, but here's what he did. He said, here's a model. Jesus said, here's the way I want you to pray. What could be more important than that, guys? What could be more important than that? Now, obviously, we don't have to include or spew out these exact words verbatim. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you have to say these specific words or the magic formula doesn't work, right? It's not a rigid, that'd be just like the Pharisees to take it that way and just to say, oh, let's, no, nope, it doesn't count if it's not just, you know, you'd be missing the forest for the trees, so to speak, right? And yet, every Christian prayer should be informed by this and should be shaped by the Lord's Prayer, right? If, if not, so okay, let me, let me just keep moving. Um, so what we, what we have right here in this prayer should have a profound shaping effect on what you pray for and what I pray for and how we pray. And even before that, the knowledge of to whom We're praying. So look at your Bible at Matthew chapter 6. There's a simple structure here, really easy to follow. There's an opening address followed by six petitions. It's important to realize that these statements, let me just say this, they're not ascriptions. They're not ascribing things to God. That is, they're not saying, your name is holy. Your kingdom is coming. That's a declarative statement. And that's not what's happening here. These are not ascriptions. These are petitions. They're asking God to do something. Does that make sense? The first set of three requests focuses on God's glory. His name, his kingdom, and his will. And I really wanted to do all three of those today, but we're going to get one. I'm sorry. Unless you want to act like we're in India, and I, I can roll for two hours, guys. I can do it. You're like, I know, dude. Chill out. All right. The second set focuses on our good provision, forgiveness, and protection or holiness. Man, isn't that encouraging? Isn't it encouraging that in his model prayer for all centuries, Jesus' thought embraces your physical needs and your spiritual needs? Isn't that encouraging? Isn't encouraging? He doesn't say, suck it up physically, but here's spiritually what you need. No, I don't care about your physical. Let's focus on the spirit. Now, Jesus, Jesus, in the, in the model prayer, he says, let's, let's talk about your physical, you know, and let's talk about your spiritual. Man, that's good. Do I need to say that again? I feel like some of y'all just didn't feel that with me. You know what I mean? Um, the two sets, guys, they cannot be separated. God is glorified. Listen to this. This is good. God is glorified when he gives you something you need. And when we ask him for what we need, we always do it with an eye to him receiving the glory. God is glorified when he gives us something we need. And when we ask him for what we need, we always do it with an eye of lifting up him of glorifying him. It's helpful. It's a helpful way to think about those two petitions. God's glory, first three, our good, the second three. So let's start like this. We're just gonna take this one little chunk at a time. Pray like this. You notice in the English version of this prayer, which I assume nobody has a Bible in Swahili or in Greco-Rome, I mean, we all have English Bibles, Um, The first word is our, but in the Greek, and, and, and the Greek isn't always helpful, but in this instance, I really thought it was, because when this was written down originally, the first word was pater, or father. That's the first word, Abba. Now, think about that. Just let that marinate your cynical, jaded heart. That's the first word, Father. Jesus wants you and me to call the God of the universe, the God who spoke the universe and the world out of nothing, the God who thought up and designed flowers and the orca and designed the teeth on a lion and a giraffe's neck The God who called all the trillions of stars out by a specific name. That happened. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the ten plagues. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God of the glory cloud filling the temple. The God who shakes the cedars of Lebanon. The God who showed himself to Daniel. The God who is the ancient of days. The Lord of heaven's armies. The God who before whom no one can stand face to face and live. Jesus wants us to call this God, the God, Father, Abba. Tender, warm, close, caring. Attentive, intimate. Guys, to pray with an intimacy like that to God, to call him your Abba, your Father, your Pater, is not a human right. It is a spiritual privilege. It is a privilege for the people of God who have been born again by the Spirit of God. John 1 says it this way, Yet to all who receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave, he gave it, he gave the right to be called children of God, children not of a natural descent, nor of human or a husband's will, but born of God. It's not our natural birthright to call God father. It is our spiritual born again birthright. Now, some of y'all might be wondering, well, wait a minute, aren't we all coming from? Okay, yeah. So granted, there is a sense in which God being the creator of everything, as Acts 17 says, as your poets have said, aren't we all his offspring? So everyone owes their existence. So in this way, we can say, okay, God's the father of all. But that is not how Jesus speaks of the fatherhood of God. Jesus makes the exact opposite point. To call God father is not the right of everyone born, but the special spiritual right for those who have been adopted as sons and as daughters of the most high. So there is no biblical warrant for those thinking that God is a father to everyone, and we are all his children. You'll hear that in a lot of liberal prayers. You'll hear that in a lot of political prayers. You'll hear that on TV, and you can, you, can, you can kick that to the curb when it comes to the word of the living God because that is not how it speaks of us being his children. It is a spiritual... Recognize this, that this is a unique address given only to us, only to disciples, only disciples get to call God Father. Even in the Old Testament, where the fatherhood is less clear than the New Testament, we see this intimate relationship of a father with his children. We see that it's reserved for God's people. And what we see in the Old Testament in seed form, we see in the New Testament in full bloom. The Old Testament uses the word father in this intimate sense 15 times. The New Testament, 245 times. It's there occasionally in the Old Testament. It's now the central idea in the New Testament. And that's by God's initiative. We can approach God as a father. We should relish this new relationship with God himself. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has given us that we, we, should be called the sons of God? Ridiculous. Amazing. The Old Testament, when God reveals himself, do you guys remember how he revealed himself? Moses said, well, who, who do I tell him has sent me? What does he say? I am. He, he defined himself in relation to himself. This is I am that I am. And in the New Covenant, the New Testament, he defines himself in relation to you. Call me Father. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Man. I just want to take a bath in that, man. Stay. That's, that's good. And we see the whole Trinity. This is cool. See the whole Trinity. You're like, okay, well, where's Jesus? Where's the Holy Spirit? How's this? We see the whole Trinity involved in this. The act of calling God Father is a Trinitarian act. Romans 8 tells us that It is the Spirit of God who testifies with our spirit that we are children, co-heirs with Christ, and therefore causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't that good? So no wonder that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, could triumphantly instruct Mary. Mary, go to my brother's. And tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. John 20, 17. By his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus made it possible for men and women to come to God Almighty and meaningfully say, Our Father. So if you, from your heart, truly cry out to God as a Father, Well, guys, that's evidence that you have Christ as your brother and that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. It is always in addressing God in this way, truly from the heart, that it is an act of Trinitarian faith and operation. Isn't that good? Um, Now, now just a a quick side note. I debated on whether or not to include this, not because... I'm afraid of what people think, but just because of time. But I do think it's important because I feel like everything is being called into question in our day. We can't take anything for granted, anything. And so um, I just wanted to quickly address, we do not have justification for calling God our mother. Um, A lot of people say, isn't substituting mother an equally fine address? I mean, there's some stuff out there that says that's fine. Um, Well, the important part is that he's a parent, right? And perhaps mother means something more to you. So I just want to say a couple comments. The Bible does, on a few occasions, describe God as having maternal characteristics. He's tender like a nursing mother, to talk about his tenderness, uh, or like a chicken brooding over her young. Um, So we don't need to be embarrassed in using those. They're, They're beautiful examples of the heart of God using those images, but that's not the same as naming God as mother. God is, of course, God is spirit, right? He doesn't have a gender. He's not male or female. And yet consistently, exclusively, throughout all of scripture, God reveals himself as a king, a husband, and a father, not as a queen, a wife, or a mother. And so we have no warrant to pray to God in ways that we might think sound better or are more culturally woke or with it or whatever, Um, Just think about it for a minute. The act of naming, especially biblically, is an act of authority. I mean, you see that in Scripture. You see, that's why God named Adam. And that's why God gave the authority to to Adam of naming the animals. And later even Eve. And so it would be an act of great presumption on our part to think that we could give God, because we think it's a good idea, a new identity or a new name. It's his prerogative to reveal himself as he wants to reveal himself, and this is how the scriptures reveal that he chose. Side note over, all right? All right, we talked last Sunday about God does not need, thanks Doug, you're in my corner, man, I love you. We talked last Sunday, guys, that God doesn't need a repetition of words. God doesn't need phrases. God delights when you, his children, speak to him. He he loves that. To know that we love him, to know that we confide in him, to know that we're confident, that he cares for us, that we believe that we can come to him with all of our needs and our junk and our messed up state, that we know that he can do anything for us. Um, Man, as much as we are imperfect parents, and guys, I am an imperfect parent, Wow, did this morning teach me that. I, I, try, I took Felicity to try to help Renita. Whoa, that was an awful idea. Like, I just, it was, I love her to death, but man, she was like just on me, like constantly. And I was trying to do a little more study over here before the service, and whew, I, got, I was like, babe, you got to pray for me. Like, I just, I need, I need the Lord to help my heart here. Um, and, and yet, you know, even, even though we're imperfect, man, when my kids ask me for something I'm gonna say usually, but most of the time, I'm usually really happy to hear from them, right? I'm, 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 now the fifty-thousandth time that they ask for the same thing, you know, I'm like, Lord Jesus, just I need your help right now, help me out. Um, but I'm really happy to hear from them, especially when they're when they're very sincere, right? As much as a three-year-old can be sincere, um, a, a serious moment, or maybe they have a serious question. You know, it might be about poop or food or something, but I mean, if they're sincere about it, hey, poop is the biggest topic for for a lot of, for kids under three. It's like, it's right up there with the sun and my parents and poop. It's like, um, but they, they have a genuine question. They have a burden, something they want to tell me. I'm really genuinely interested, very interested to hear. Um, Betty Jane has been has been stalling. She's been learning that she can stall daddy at night by praying longer. And so... You know, she'll like caress my face and she's just like, and, and God, I, I love daddy's hair and, and his face and, and the, the grass and, you know, and the, I do let her go probably longer than I should, but, um, you know, she'll recap the day, tell me about what she's excited about. And it's just real exciting to hear the things that are really important to her. You know, like she has these epiphanies like, daddy, you're my daddy, mommy, you're my mommy which I thought was going really well until the UPS man showed up and she told Renee she's like, daddy! And I was just like, okay, let's, maybe we're not quite there. Um, now listen, if I, as a sinful, selfish, self-centered, more interested than, my default is to be defensive, more interested in myself, to think about my needs more than anyone else. As a sinful father, if I'm happy to hear my kids when they want to share about what they're learning, or what they're thinking in their heads. Can I, can I ask you, how much more is our perfect God in heaven delighted to hear from us? You know what we need more of in prayer? We need more of a three-year-old's lack of awareness of ourselves. Right? When we, we need, and we need to take ourselves a little less seriously. And we need more God awareness. We need more awareness of him. But man, isn't that hard to do? It's so hard to do. We, we think about people when we're praying. We, you know, we, we think about what am I saying? Do I sound stupid? Do I, I mean, even this morning, Jack, we were praying before the service. Like, I had, to, like, a couple times during the prayer, I'm thinking, am I saying the right thing? And I was just like, dang it, I'm about to preach on this. Stop, you know? Like, like just, just, just pray, you know? But, man, it's, so, it's, hard, it's hard to do that. Um, but that doesn't help our communication, right? It doesn't help it be heartfelt, we need less focus on, on how, we're, how we are and, and how we're sounding, and are we doing it right, and we just need to focus more on the one to whom we're praying. right? So in summary, you see, it's not so much about the proper protocol, but if we know if we know the one to whom we're praying, the protocols will follow. Right? So God's not your roommate, right? He's not a butler. He's not your girlfriend. So we don't come to him chummy, right? We don't come to him with disrespect or arrogance or demand that he wait on us. We don't come to him with some weird romantic vibe, right? But neither do we pray to him as a dictator, a parole officer, or some harsh boss where we have to plead and then maybe outside of his better judgment, okay, I'll I'll listen to that one. Um, No, we don't have to grovel. We don't have to scream or be afraid. We come to him as his kids, as a child, knowing that he loves us, comforted that he wants to hear from us. And as the Old Testament even says, that he even dances with joy over his children. It is always wise. This is, I think this was a nugget for me. I, I hope maybe it'll help you. It's always wise before we pray to take a little bit of time, just even if it's a few seconds, to deliberately recall who he is. I think I've learned that from the Puritans too and how they pray because they never really start a prayer the same way. They're like all forgiving God or the creator. And I think I just say, Lord, that's just my, Lord. And, and, And isn't, so maybe just try, I don't know if that'd help you or not, but like it actually can season an entire prayer how you title him at the beginning. Like, the God who cares about the weak and the broken. Here I am, weak and broken. Like, and it can, just, it can just change the whole spirit of, of how we pray. But, um, so only then when we call him to mind and we think about who he is before we speak, will we come to our loving father and approach him with humility, devotion, and confidence. So that's our father. That's Father. Okay, now I'm not gonna leave out our. Okay, now let's go back to the English version, the word our. And just a second on this one. This is a word that we need to hear as Americans. This is a word we really need to hear. Jesus did not teach you and me to pray, my Father, but our Father. I think there's a lesson here for us as we gather here and ask God to help us be obedient to this. Guys, how frustratingly pointless is it for us to come together, sorry, this is a side note, but for us to come together on Sundays and to worship and to hear the word and to leave and not implement anything. I can't think of anything more pointless, right? So I hope we all, even if you feel just so broken and like there's a billion things you need to work on, I hope that when we gather together, we're asking God, because because that's the progress we want, right? We, that's, how, that's how God's gonna create a gospel culture here is, is for us to say, Lord, let me see you different. Let me see your work. Okay, side note over. All right, so our, not my, but our. D.A. Carson puts it this way. Christians are not to pray in splendid isolation and not to think of spirituality in terms of the rugged individualism which stamps so much of Western thought. Listen to 1 John 5.1. 1 1 John 5.1 reflects this major New Testament theme. Listen. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves God loves his children as well. That's other Christians. So... Of course, I'm not saying we don't pray individually. There's, that's all through Scripture, too. Jesus would go off by himself. But, you know, David, we have so many examples. So I'm not saying that, of course. But our praying should be there should be a pattern in our prayer that is much broader than just me. I mean, for example, Nehemiah's prayer. Do you hear this man owning and repenting on behalf of Israel? When's the last time that you repented genuinely and brokenly over the sins of America? Or are we just judging? Are we just saying, hey, I'm a prophet. I'm just going to call out what's... Do we pray like this? Do we own like Nehemiah owned? Do you ever pray on behalf of this collective? Do you, do you pray when, when, when you think of the stuff you're struggling with on behalf of your wife or your kids. There's a lesson for us here, guys. The most important takeaway is this, I think, that prayer is a corporate event. And man, wouldn't it be, isn't it easier to pray when you pray with people? So much easier. Um, my, My best, most disciplined, most consistent, sweetest times of prayer in my whole life have been praying with other people. They've been shared. Um, and so it's a, good reason, it's a good reason to pray with a husband or wife, to pray around the dinner table. I'm trying to think of how this, how this meets us, right? Praying around the dinner table, praying at family devotions or whenever, uh, to join a life group, uh, to gather with people at work to pray. With another group in our church, we have a men's group and a women's group that meets and prays each week, um, where you're coming together to pray. And when, when you hear the word prayer, you think, ah, that's what I get to do with the family of God on a regular basis. In this prayer where Jesus says, "I want to teach you how to pray," Jesus assumes that we are praying with other Christians. All right, so that's our and that's Father next in heaven. The Jews in in this time were huge on the on the concept of God being high and mighty and glorious and transcendent. And from, from what we have of their writings of church history, we see like very little evidence that there was any emphasis on personal relationships with God. And so he was transcendent and the richness of his personality and relationship was not really in view. Now by contrast, we've kind of swung in a lot a lot of our churches have swung the opposite direction, where um, many churches of Christians today portray him as exclusively warm, and personal and his sovereignty and exalted transcendence and his mightiness and that's kind of started to disappear, right? I mean, I'm not going to call out some of the youth songs that I, that I sang growing up, but you know, a little bit chummy, little Jesus is my homeboy-ish kinda, kind of a vibe, right? I saw a guy, and I'm not saying I'd wear this, but uh, he, he said, uh, Jesus isn't your homeboy, He's God Almighty. Show some freaking respect. <laughs> just, you know, again, probably wouldn't wear it, but I was just like, eh. I mean, you know, um, when we lose sight of His holiness, listen. When we lose sight of His holiness and His transcendence, we don't appreciate as much the fact that He says, "Call me Abba." But when we see His might and His power and His strength, and that powerful God comes and says call me Abba, it's so much more precious, you know? The phrase in heaven, it does a couple things, okay? At first, it designates this isn't an earthly father. He is our heavenly father, right? But then also, it reflects something of God's infinite greatness. Uh, He is our heavenly father. Psalm 33, 13 through 15 makes the point this way. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out over all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. Something I found really interesting in the Old Testament. You guys remember the Tower of Babel? Remember that? And they were doing that. They said, we're going to take hold of heaven. We're going to go, we're going to, we're going to take hold of God, right? And did you notice in that passage, it says, and God came down to see what they were doing. I just, I just, it's just a few words, but it's like, you know, our, our biggest monument to how awesome we are, the Empire State Building, he's he's huge. I'm going to reach to God. God's like, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, I mean, he's aware, but you know what I'm saying? It says he came down to see. So, so guys, we approach him as our Abba, as our tender, loving, caring, kind father, but he remains Almighty. How many C.S. Lewis fans do we have? I couldn't help but think of Aslan, remember? And they said, is is Aslan... Who is it that asked the question? Oh, I was counting on you, Stephen. Is it Lucy? It's okay. You need to read C.S. Lewis again sometime. But I'm asking you the question, so clearly I haven't either. But Lucy says, is he he safe? And they said, no. He's not safe. But he is good. I'm glad you said that. I was going to say kind, so that would have been wrong. So he is good our father who art in heaven it's amazing to talk to our father but the amazing thing about jesus's prayer is that it's our father in heaven and doesn't it go both ways it's like you could think god is my father you could also think my father is god i mean if you had the privilege Let me try to unpack it this way. If you had the privilege of growing up in a decent household, fairly decent, many kids go through this phase. I think, I hope, Betty Jane, I think, is starting to enter that where they just think their parents can do anything, right? Doug, okay? They think their parents can do anything. My dad is so strong. He's so tall. He's so smart. And kids can just instinctively go through this phase when they think about, they're dads. My dad can do anything. I was looking at the moon one night with Betty Jane, and I said, look, buddy, it's the moon. And she was just like, wow. And she was like, Daddy, will you get it? I was just like, yeah. So I did, <laughs> I did, the, uh, I did the Bruce Almighty thing, you know, where he like <laughs> lassos the moon. It didn't move. But um, some of you might say, well, Brady, that's great. You know, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm really glad to hear, I mean, honestly, I'm glad to hear your kids see you that way. And, um, but when I hear the word father... It does, it does me no favors. Um, I think of the most incredible pain and abuse or addiction, all sorts of dysfunctions and unhealthy sin and difficulties that you, you can't even imagine. And sadly, guys, that's true, isn't it? Too many people grew up with distant fathers, abusive fathers, maybe because of an, an untimely death, maybe just grew up with no father. Um, and they never really even knew them. And so it's, it's appropriate that we would sympathize with those for whom the word Father stirs up all sorts of conflicted and difficult experiences. And yet, as one pastor put it, we must always interpret our experiences through the lens of God's word and not interpret God's word and constrain what God wants to say about himself through the lens of our experiences. We aren't the first people, the first generation to have daddy issues, to have horrible, difficult father experiences. Um, I mean, all you got to do is look at the Bible. The Bible's full, full of brokenness, uh, how messed up some of those families were. And yet, God, for a very good reason, chose to reveal himself in this way. And Jesus has very deliberately told us to pray to God as a father. Not because it will be necessarily easy for us, but because as painful as some of our home experiences will be, we must seek the redemption of that in our perfect, good, heavenly Father. And perhaps the Father we should have known, but didn't. And so this is the Father who loves us, and he reigns over everything. When we say not just our Father, but our Father in heaven, it tells us something. It tells us that the one to whom we are praying has intimacy, Father, and authority, and both are absolutely essential. J.I. Packer says it this way, it, and this just this, this stopped me in my tracks, all right? This is a good word. Listen, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts about God make prayer dull. Man, I just, I can't help but think about my own life. And of course, I mean, we all struggle with distraction, don't we? And, and lack of discipline at times. And this, not, not trying to beat us up. I mean, it's hard, it's hard for all of us. I, I want you to just feel grace. I want you to feel encouraged today. And yet, if prayer is always dull, if it's always boring, we need to ask ourselves the question, have we lost a sense of to whom we are praying? My prayer life is never more bolstered and encouraged as to when the Lord helps me see him with freshness and a fresh new, I mean, I've I've told you guys before that he's working on me in the last couple years uh, to see this tender heart that he has. And then when he does that for us, it, 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 it does motivate us when we see him for who he really is. It makes it easier to pray. Think of the past. I mean, maybe some of y'all haven't experienced this, but have you ever prayed with somebody that you just really enjoyed praying with? You're just like, man, like, are, are they seeing something? Happen? You know, they're just like, man, they're, on, they're fired up and they, they're excited and, 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 you know, they're banging on the gate of heaven and they prayed with a sense of awe oh, And of closeness, where you're like, man, Jesus really is his homeboy. I mean, they're like, they're close, you know. Um, They were really speaking to someone. They had a clear picture of a God who loved them and who could act and was listening. And I love to pray with those sort of people. I really do. But when our prayers are dull and very boring, might it be because our concept of God is dull and boring, if we knew who it was that we were talking to, how could we not be eager to converse with him? I mean, just think about if somebody famous that you'd wanna meet, right? Somebody you're just a big fan of, right? I mean, back in the day, it would have be been Michael Jordan. I don't know about now, but like back in the day, I would have wanted to. Now he seems a little depressed. You know, we pray for him. But I mean, uh, you'd, you know, you'd think about how eager you would be, and I was just thinking, how many more millions of times over Ought it be special for us to talk to God? Think about your life, whether it's TV or sports. And sometimes, you know, someone who you would just love to spend time with. Man, a million, million times more interesting, important in the universe. And we can talk to him. We can talk to him. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. So if you feel like you're at a dead end this morning, and you're like, dude, last time I prayed... I'd rather watch moss grow. It was rough. It was rough. You know, if you're at a dead end in your prayer life, don't just pummel yourself and tell yourself how wretched of a Christian you are and how you got no business being one or whatever, right? Don't beat yourself up Don't say or don't just say, I'm going I'm I'm to dig down to my roots and bring up some of that Baptist old school fundamentalism and I'm just going to pummel myself until I do it, right? And just get better, get better. No, get a better, truer, bigger, sweeter understanding of God. Yes. Yes. You start yearning to just see Him for who He really is. And when you, because if you see Him, if we, when we really see Him, can I get a witness? When we really see Him for who He really is, you're going to be drawn to Him. Amen. You're going to be drawn to Him. And if you're not seeing him right now, but you've seen him back in the day, you know, you know that when you're really seeing him, it's different. You know that you and him have that connection. You know, you remember. So our Father, who art in heaven, and this is where we're going to end it today, hallowed be your name. 1 Peter 3, 5. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In this request, this petition, we get the one specific named subjective response of the human heart that God wants everybody to give. This is the only one like this in this prayer. Halloween. I didn't say Halloween. 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 That's something you do here. Something you do on the inside You hallow, you reverence, you sanctify, you treasure, you esteem, you respect, you stand in awe. This is something that goes on in here. It's the one request that names what's supposed to go on in here toward God. I mean, it should bother you when his name is not hallowed. It, it, does, does it bother you at all to watch a movie or to be, you know, to hear it? I'm not saying we're and we like throw something at every unbeliever, right? Unbelievers are being who they are, right? I'd rather them be real, I mean, That's what they're like. Oh, sorry, preacher, you know. And it's just like, I mean, that's, that. I, it's cool. I appreciate the respect, but like, I'd rather I'm I'm more comfortable in a room full of drunks being real than a room full of Christians being fake. I'm just I'm just saying I'm a lot more comfortable around that. So, but like, you know, but does it does it still? Bother you at all to hear his name taken in vain, made fun of, mocked, used in a gutterish type of way, right? I mean, does the offense you would feel for your wife or husband, is it even close to, to how you feel? Or are you just totally okay? Like, bring on the GDs, man. Just like it doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't phase you at all. His name is holy, and we are to regard him as holy. When we pray, when we worship, it should affect our worship. There should be a reverence. I mean, even our times of joy, with, it should be a, a reverence in the joy, right? There should be a reverence in our worship. In our, we should regard him as holy in the movies we go to, in the restaurants, and when we watch TV. Well, what series are you watching on Netflix? Is that, is that, is that regarding his name as holy? When you're with friends at the mall. May it be holy, the word of God says. May his name be hallowed. May it be set apart. Hallowed does not mean that his name could be any holier. This prayer isn't saying like, hey, I'm gonna add some hallow to your name, God. We are we are no, we're we're not glorifying God like a microscope where we take something really tiny and we make it really big. We're, we're, we're glorifying God like a telescope where we're taking something ridiculously gargantuan and we're, and we're bringing it to where we can see it, at least part of it. Take something massively huge and bring it into view. To hallow means may all Amherst County and may all of Amherst High School and may all of Oasis Church and may all of Virginia and may all of Congress and the Senate and the House May your name be hallowed. May everyone see God for who he really is. And may his human creatures adore him and obey him. That's that's what's behind that prayer. John Calvin said it this way. We would wish God to have the honor he deserves. Men should never think of him without the highest reverence. You see, there's a reason that this is the first thing Jesus says. Our Father who art in heaven, number one, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Because it's the one that holds all the others together. In the way we get our daily bread, let your name be hallowed. In the way your kingdom come, your name be hallowed. Your name be hallowed on planet Earth. Your will be done. Why? So that your name is hallowed. So that your name is seen as holy. To pray this prayer is to ask God to do a miraculous work in your heart, in our actions, and in the world that his name would be set apart. It's indicating to God that our number one desire, the number one desire, Amber, of me, of you, of Kathleen, the the number one desire, may I praise you, may everybody praise you, may all the peoples praise you, may the world see you for who you really are. We're not asking the world to see him in some pretend way, or may they just see your good side, God. No, we want the world to see him for who he really is. Is. I want the world to know, God, what you're really like, because you're awesome and you're amazing. If you're a parent, you may have had a situation where your kid was maybe uh, in some discipline. Maybe it was a sports thing and they just weren't performing well. And 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 uh, somebody else is working with your kid, basically, in some drama or whatever, in some kind of context. And maybe they're having to even discipline them and they're seeing your, your kid struggle And even if they're doing their best and and maybe doing something wrong, isn't there something in you as a parent that you want to say, do you know who they really are? Do you know who she really is? I mean, especially if they're having to discipline them or give them bad marks in some way. You as a parent want to rush in and say, but you don't really know who they are. You'd like them. Like, what she's really like, let me tell you. You want people to see your kid for who they really are, how you know them, how you love them. Let me try this one. Have you ever, have you ever made some kind of discovery? I don't mean like a planet or like some other little piece of land, but like a movie, a show, a good restaurant, a great meal. Um, you know, and, and, and you tell people about it and they're like, oh, that's nice. And you're like, no, no, you don't get it. Like, it's amazing, right? Well, I mean, whatever it is, I, I feel like this is totally me, like just absolutely me, uh, probably in, in an annoying kind of way. Jay, you're that way too, so, you know, but like, you know, you just, you see people and you're just like, you want people to appreciate all that you have come to appreciate. Or perhaps husbands, you've, you've had the opportunity to speak about your wife Or wife, you had an opportunity to speak about your husbands and and someone's just not listening well. Or or maybe someone has a really negative view of them. And hopefully, hopefully, man, you say, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what she's really like. This woman is classy. This woman, man, she takes care of our family. She's a hard worker. She's beautiful. Let, Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you what she does. You don't know what she's like. If you did, you would honor her. So when you pray, Father, may your name be hallowed in all the earth. We're saying, oh, God, may all the peoples praise you. No, God, start with me. Start with Brady Rose, that I would see you, that I would appreciate you for who you really are, and then multiply it around the world. That's what we ask. That's the first thing we ask. Isn't that good? Man. What we're going to see again and again, guys, in this prayer is it's really going to reveal a lot of things that are in our own hearts. You can learn a lot about a person by what they pray for. And this request, the one that shapes, is the one that shapes every other request. This petition is the petition that supersedes all other petitions. Everything else flows from this supplication. And here was, here was the thought that I, that I came away with as we close. Brady, is it about my name or is it about your name? That's the most important question to ask as you think about what and how you pray. When I come to God, is it really about my name or his name? Because I don't want to pray for my stupid little empires for my ridiculously silly little control areas. I want, I want to be about him, what he has, his kingdom, his agenda, his, 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 his plan. And a prayer would be this. Jaggy, come on up. Father, Cause your great holy name to be honored, reverenced, and esteemed, and treasured, and loved, and respected, and valued above all things. That's the breathtaking part of prayer. Man, it's global. It's powerful. And I want to end with where I started. What do you think about when you think about God? What is most important to you? Is your prayer life... And again, there's so much freedom here. Don't, don't feel, I pray you don't come away feeling bashful toward prayer because it ha- that, I hope that hasn't been the spirit of anything you've taken. But, but is your prayer life very simply, is it about your glory? Of course, God cares about our daily bread and, and we should rattle off at the mouth of all our stuff we're struggling with. But is the heart behind all of that his glory? Or is it about our name? Is it about us? Do you see him for who he really is, as the father of all mercy, the one who multiplies compassionate mercies to needful, wayward, messy, fallen, broken, wandering people? And what's so great about his mercy is his mercy is varied. His mercy, if your heart is hard this morning, his mercies are tender. If your your heart is dead today, he has mercy to liven it. If you're sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and to cleanse you. As large and as various as our wants and our needs, so large and varied are his mercies. So in prayer, let's let's pray together. As we ponder your heart, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would remember who you are. You are not cautiously stingy in your tenderness towards us. You multiply mercies to us for every need. And we know, God, from your word, there's literally nothing you'd rather do. You are more tender with us than we can or are to ourselves. Lord, our gentlest treatment of ourselves is less gentle than the way you as our Heavenly Father handles us and want to handle us. Father, we know that you love us. I pray now that we would respond to you with whatever your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts today. Teach us, Lord, to pray. We have counselors and people to pray at the front if you want to pray with with anyone Let's seek the face of the Lord and ask him to work in our hearts.